Welcome to another episode of the Along Come Norwich podcast, a jolly jaunt along the corridors of concern for Norwich City supporters. Today, I'm joined by regulars Lorne. Good evening. John. Hello. And our special guest is Chris Gorham. Hello, everyone. The voice of those Tuesday evenings when you just couldn't bring yourself to go to Middlesbrough away. If you don't know about the Along Come Norwich website, grab your nearest millennial and demand they show you alongcomenorwich.com, where you can read informed and sensible takes on the latest canary booms and busts. Thank you to James Robinson, by the way, for putting together our lovely new theme tune. We'll tweet his handle so you can hit him up for his creative wizardry. So we're recording this pod at the start of an important international break for Daniel Farker as he looks to address an alarming slump in form. As well as discussing where he starts with that mess, we'll look back at three straight league defeats, debate the best playing style we've seen so far, take in your questions and round off with the ACN quiz. So Chris, we've got you here. You've obviously been front row seats or quite high up, I understand, at the Macron yes. um, for the, the recent defeats. How can you sum up the that alarming slump um, in uh, a, a podcast-length answer? I, I think rather than concentrate on the slump, because we like to look up and not down, um, I'd rather look at the, the season in general. And I think 13th at the moment is about right. They say the league table never lies. I think that's certainly the case for Norwich City. And I think whether or not you're disappointed by it depends on what you expected at the start of the season. And, and I thought this, is probably, this probably would be where Norwich are uh, around now. I thought they'd start really slowly. They managed to start even slower than I thought um, because of all the changes and getting used to Daniel Farker and so many new players. Um, I was I was pleasantly surprised by that run they had during September. That that was a much better run of form than I thought they were capable of at this point. I thought we'd have to wait until the second half of the season for that sort of thing. And I think it did raise the hopes and the expectations. So to, to now lose three, four games, if you include Arsenal, that does feel like a crushing disappointment. But, but overall... 13th is about where I thought Norwich would be right now. And we're, so we're, what, four points outside the playoffs, John? And that whilst we are within two games of suddenly becoming in a, a position where everyone wants to be, yeah. can't quite be alarm bells yet, can it? I don't think there are alarm bells yet. I think actually, you know, with any kind of football performance related um, statistics, you don't get too high when you're winning, you don't get too low when you're losing. And Daniel Farker's been a really big advocate of that. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and it's something ridiculous, like from 7th to 14th or 13th, I think there's like two or three points in it. So it's up for grabs. If we put a run together like we did in September, we're going to be bang up there, 5th or 6th again. I think the top three or four are starting to break away a little bit, but actually, realistically, as Norwich City fans, did we really expect we'd be you know, challenging for top two or three? Absolutely not. Would well, say- maybe if we go back to the last podcast, Tom, you, you kind of called me yeah, and win the league. I, I, However, I, I, that's the thing. Two weeks ago, league champions. Yeah. Now, alarm bells. Yeah. So, so John, John pointed out that um, you shouldn't get too high when you're winning and, and too low when you're losing. <laughs> but uh, I don't agree with that. I, I very much, I'm very much a boom or bust well, uh, football fan. You're not alone. I interviewed Ed Balls last week, the chairman, on the day the accounts were, were published, and and he was quite bullish we recorded it before the Wolves game and, and he was saying that he felt they had a squad that was capable of promotion to, to the Premier League You know, a week on I don't know whether he'd, he'd reassess that but yeah I think it's as I said a moment ago I think Norwich are where well, I probably thought they would be the, the, the one thing that kept my feet on the ground during September was that the number of games we saw where Norwich players were absolutely out on their feet at the end there's some terrific results at Middlesbrough at Sheffield United at Reading 
Um, there were great results, and I'm not going to take anything away from them. But the way they were hanging on and hanging on, you wondered how long they could get away with it for. And, and the fact that we were talking about them working so hard just to win a game by the odd goal, that, that was the one thing I was... It wasn't like they were blowing teams away and winning 4 or 5 nil. And, and I did wonder whether that run of... It's not luck, but, but that run of form might... We might just run out of, of being able to do that. And, and that, that all, that's all that seems to have happened over the last couple of weeks. Well, we've got... We look back to um, the, uh, two of those three where we did manage to get on the score sheet... Um, but again, it's it's scoring the odd goal, and it's obviously social media has been been rife with with talk of a lack of a striker, etc. Um, I, I think we therefore have to have to really address that. I know that we have differing opinions amongst the, the 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 podcast regulars here around whether or not we've got enough up front, whether or not when we did talk about that in in our very first episode earlier in the season, that you know I I really didn't understand the arguments coming out of the club for not being able to keep two strikers happy if you're a good enough manager you should be able to do it the likes of Sheffield Wednesday Wolves all of these have got four plus senior what would consider themselves to be first choice strikers Derby etc etc it's part of the game it's, 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 it's rotation and Saturday Tuesday the games come regularly enough you should be able to, to get enough minutes to keep people happy um, but but not everyone feels that isn't that well, right, it's whether or not you say that we've got two strikers which I would disagree with from the start, like you're a huge fan of Naismith. Like, I am, yeah. He's a striker. He's not a number ten. He's not a number nine either. Though I think he's a nine and a half. He's a stri- he's a striker. Though, isn't oh, he? I agree with your point. Marley Watkins was signed as a striker. Well, you know, he was signed as a forward, and and they made a, such yeah. a big deal in the copy of the website to make sure that they didn't mention the word striker <laughs> anywhere, <laughs> which 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 rang alarm bells. I mean, he, he's he's not someone who would go to another team and be. Their striker, Mar- Marley Watkins' work rate is, is fantastic. Industry is fantastic. Obviously, he's got. He was lucky to only get a booking on uh, was it Saturday when he, when he swung or, or, or Wolves game. I can't remember. But he, um, he he again shows he's got a bit of a hot head. But he's not an out and out striker. The goals he got for Barnsley were out wide. They came from playing in a three and. We're not playing a forward three. We play a three behind one with one of those kind of yeah. withdrawn, usually helping out one of our fullbacks. I think it's difficult to assess Marley Watkins now. Chris is probably the only one of us who was at Brentford, and I listened to Chris's dulcet tones on Radio Norfolk, and it sounded like he had a really, really good game in terms of leading the line. I don't think we can judge Marley Watkins as a striker. We can base it on Barnsley's, you know, reaction, you know, Barnsley's fans' reaction in terms of how he performed. But we've had one game against Wolves where he's really been out and out, number you know number nine, looking to link the play against three centre backs, basically as part of their mm. five, yeah, five at the back, which potentially is more difficult for him because you know he's got more congestion in the centre there. Um, so I think we could give him a sniff. I think there's lots of people that are crying out for Fonku. Um, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it or Abraham's to to perhaps be be given a chance, but. I'm kind of with Andy, actually, you know, and, and you hark back to Chipper Wednesday and Derby and Wolves. A lot of the time they'll play two up front. So I think it's two players for every one position, and that's the kind of golden rule in terms of squad management. I don't think we, we're we going to see two up front as much as perhaps a lot of the City Stand regulars might want to see. Four, we did when we chased the, we were chasing the game in the last yeah. 20 minutes when we won two goals down. And I think actually if, we, if we're playing as a two, I think there's options there in terms of Vilcek could probably play through the middle as a two. I think Josh Murphy could do the same. I think Watkins potentially can do the same if he's got a partner around him to link it. But is that not, and I'll ask this question to Chris, and you may well say, no, I'm incorrect. Would you not suggest that that is... Uh, a damning 
uh, a damning indication of what our squad is like that as soon as we get one injury or one um, suspension up front it means that we're having to talk about well maybe this midfielder could do a job maybe this midfielder could do a job yeah I'm sure they could but that should, we should only ever have to go to that when we're like oh god because we've got three strikers injured yeah, well, we now have to go to that I, I don't think that Norwich's goal scoring problems are just down to the strikers you know Cameron Jerome Nelson Oliveira whoever's playing up front the way Norwich play, their job now isn't just to score goals. Of course, you're a striker, you're judged on goals. Cameron Jerome should have scored against Bolton. There's no doubting that. But part of that job, when you're the one centre-forward, is to bring those other players into play. If you're playing the 4-2-3-1 that Norwich play, you've actually got four attackers. You've got a striker and those three players around him. Now, for me, those three players that are playing behind our striker at the moment are not scoring enough goals. Because if you're only going to play one up front, you need those to weigh in. And, and you go through the players that have regularly played in that position. I think Josh Murphy's our top scorer this season with six, but four of those have been in the League Cup. <coughs> uh, Wes Hulan hasn't scored a league goal this season. Vilsket and, and Madison haven't ever scored league goals for Norwich at Carrow Road. Uh, Marley Watkins hasn't scored a league goal yet. So, yes, the strikers and Cameron Jerome is having his own issues at the moment. But when he's not scoring, in particular, you need that those other attackers to, to weigh in with goals. And that that area of the team is the biggest worry for me at the moment. And they are getting chances. We talked in the last podcast about um, the, the chances Wilshire missed at Ipswich. Yeah. Now, we could have been 2-0 up thanks to him You know, in the first half. He had really good one-on-one opportunities. Um, um, your boy Vancic has, has chipped in with a couple here and there, although a couple of them are in the League Cup, weren't they? Yeah, he's another yeah, one he hasn't scored a League goal. Yeah. But it's super fine margins again, isn't it? That's why we said about don't get too high, don't get too low. Watkins hit the post uh, early on against Wolves would have put us 1-0 up. Really good like flicked header that it was. was yeah. It was unlucky to not score. Terrible Had he market. scored that, would have uh, we wouldn't be talking about Watkins as not contributing as much as he should have done. Uh, Murphy's being brought down against uh, Derby was another one where we probably would have scored and taken the lead. It's a decision that went against us. So it's not as bad as, oh, we're... We've lost three games on the spin. It's awful run of form. It's magnified it could have by gone the fact that pr- prior to that we were eight games unbeaten. <laughs> yeah, that, that, it was always going to look yeah. worse in in isolation. Well, rather in comparison to that, and it's but, magnified as well by the fact that he played the full strength team at Arsenal and then had to go into extra time and do two hours that of that. So painful. Again, so Vrancic scores that chance at one nil at the Emirates. Yeah. We win that game, 90 minutes, well, rest of stays on his feet, again, not to repeat last podcast, but <laughs> if he stays on his feet instead of trying to get a penalty and just pulls it back and Nelson screams at him. But, that's yeah, why it's not doing but, but I don't necessarily buy the argument that he should have rested players at Arsenal because I remember Alex Neal um, at, at the start of that ill-fated Premier League season resting players for an FA Cup tie against Manchester City when Norwich were on quite a good run. Mm. And I haven't got the fixtures in front of me, but I think they didn't win again until March yeah. after that. Yeah, so I completely agree. I, I, don't think that, I don't think that playing... A full-strength team in that Arsenal match is, is really the reason why, why Norwich are, are, have struggled in the game since. I think you've touched on the point there for me, Chris, in terms of and if we're talking about what Farker's got to address in the international break, is it is that three behind the striker. And actually, do any of us really know what's the best three, what's the most potent three behind the striker? Because for me, and I know, you know Andy will probably disagree, but if you play someone like Vrancic... He seems to be slowing up the play. He seems to be a little bit more languid, a little bit more pedestrian in terms of shifting the ball, moving the ball through the thirds from you know midfield into the, the forward lines. Um, and we haven't really got that combination. And last season we had it. Last season we had Jacob Murphy, had Alex Pritchard, you know, who you knew were potentially stalwarts of the side and would go and create, would go and chip in with goals when the strikers aren't scoring. 
I think that's the issue. That's the deficiency in this squad at the moment is actually we don't go through the gears quickly enough and we need to work out how to do that and retain the defensive solidity that we kind of grew in September. Do you think, Lornie, that there is enough of a shape and a pattern to Norwich's play, both with and without the ball? That you that would would can you know would you be able to describe Norwich typically look like this when we have the ball look like that when we don't have the ball or do you think that it's a bit more luck than judgment this season so far? I think we have got a definite style of play. I just don't think at the moment it's quite clicked, and I think it goes back to what Chris said earlier on that at this stage of the season you wouldn't necessarily expect the kind of football that we want to play, which is that little intricate little tight triangles, that Wilshire goal that we talked about that Arsenal mm. scored against us. That's what we're trying to do every game. And it's, it's not coming off yet. But that's not to say it won't come off. The, dif- the difference between that Wilshire goal and what we're doing and why it's not coming off yet is where we do it. Um, we, as soon as we get to... Um, an ability. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, quite, quite. Um, but we, the, the pattern that I see with, with Farker's Norwich um, is, is that of a horseshoe, if you think of terms of, of hotspots. The, the ball goes down the left-hand side channel and then, um, you know, in a series of, of eight, nine, ten passes, then it comes all the way back to the centre-backs and it goes across the back four for a bit into the number four, you know, Makalele roll and back to the centre-backs and then out to the right-hand side and then we go down the right-hand side with Pinto for a bit and then we stop there again and then we come back and we just go... Re- and for, for me, when you're 1-0 up, that's brilliant. Norwich play 1-0 up football. Not Norwich play possession football at a pace that suits being in the lead and that is why I was so delighted and um, was coming up with my hyperbole last pod around winning the league because that is a terrific brand of football to be able to play when you have got the lead so again and that was the day after the Arsenal game where I'd watched us successfully well very very nearly successfully Mm. employed that tactic against a a decent Arsenal team Um, but the problem is it's there doesn't seem to be any kind of plan B at all when it comes to, oh, we're 1-0 down now, we're, we're still going to play our slow horseshoe. And, and like I say, coming back to that point you made about the Wilshire goal, what concerns me is what we do when we get to the edge of the box. And that may well be your, your, your three. That might be where you need Wes to have a bit of ingenuity. And, you know, Madison, who's always looking to drop a shoulder and just get round and have a shot because he's got the ability to do it, and I don't blame him. Um, but that that's, for me, where this... Where the pattern is missing, how do we go from loads and loads of pattern, uh, loads and loads of passing play to it's about bloody time we had a shot now, lads? Do you see what I mean? That that yeah, we absolutely. don't create enough chances, I think, for people who need statistically a lot of chances yeah. to score a goal. I mean, Cameron, like Cameron Jones, yeah, Cameron Jerome is a, a one in four or five decent chances. Well, one in twenty-four so far. Well, yeah, but you'd have to say some of those chances weren't particularly brilliant. So, but I think when we were at our most effective over the last couple of years potentially not perhaps go back to the Premier League era actually the best football that I saw us play in that Premier League era was in behind Umbakani you had Umbakani as the focal point you had Houlihan as the 10 you had Nathan Redmond on the right and then you had um, Brady actually I think probably Stephen Naismith and, okay. and actually potentially and it was only a few games because Stephen Naismith hasn't had a lot of great games for Norwich City so far they all brought individual strengths they all brought you know kind of Houlihan was the guy or Naismith was the kind of grab people's bollocks or you know whatever he was going to do um and Redmond was Redmond you know pure pace skill ability you know he had he's got the lot and whether he's got the decision making is probably the only only um question mark about him but we haven't found that combination yet so actually all we need to find individual strengths that click that work together that can create those chances I think it is about urgency of play I think actually sometimes yeah we need to switch up the gears a bit sooner get an earlier cross into the box 
sometimes be more patient and actually use always Houlihan or Mario Vrancic to create that little slide rule pass that will put in Nelson Oliveira or Cameron Jerome or whoever's making the run. We also haven't got the runners from midfield at the moment as well. So you probably had Johnny Housen who was arriving in the box yeah. a lot of the time and getting on the end of chances and that's a, potentially another issue as well. So I would just add to that as well. I think there's a there's a difference in what we're trying to do at the moment which is rather than create quantity of chances we're trying to create quality mm-hmm. chances and we are creating two or three quality chances a game the issue at the moment is we're not then taking those two or three quality chances so, so then when we concede we don't get back into the game so Chris what I found particularly interesting having watched having just come off watching the, the, the Arsenal game and then um, you know Derby Wolves etc the in the Wolves game, the way that um, uh, John's just trying to quietly open the bottle, just got trying to really do it covertly yeah. under the table. It wasn't but because otherwise, it just sounds like we're kind of like leading the horse through the, through, through the room or something. Like, this podcast not... has been described as being recorded in a toilet, so well, you, you, well, be just, no well, you just make that sound effect again. <laughs> so, Chris, um, <laughs> what I found what I found so interesting with with Wolves was. As soon as we, as soon as there was a turnover possession, they just all run, yeah. and they do it so quickly. And it, and it's like every time they got the ball, it's like let's go and score. I think yeah, they they, they had a lot of pace, and uh, I thought they were fantastic wolves, and and I didn't have any complaints about Norwich losing that game because they, they were beaten by a much better team. But and I, but I think it sums up why if if I could buy one more player for for Norwich City, actually it wouldn't be a striker; it would be a winger. Because I think all the players we keep talking about, we've mentioned Pritchard, we've mentioned Vrancic, we've mentioned Madison, we've mentioned Houlihan, we've mentioned Naismith. To me, they all want to play in the same position. Yeah. They all want to be the one behind the striker. In terms of natural wide players, you've got Vilska and you've got Josh Murphy, who, in terms of the you know reliable, decent final cross into the box, neither of them have, have particularly convinced in that area. Yeah, but Murphy's yeah, way exactly. playing is cutting as similar to Jacob. Nathan Redmond, I think, may, may be one of the players we're really missing at the moment because it gets so congested around the edge of the penalty area with Norwich tapping it around and trying to score these Arsenal-style goals. Sometimes you're crying out for, do you know what, someone to get down the wing and just whip across in and mm. maybe it'll hit a defender, maybe it'll go in off Cameron Jerome's knee, something like that. That's, I, I think that's, that's that, that really does seem to be lacking at the moment because these players who are playing behind a striker, most of them want to be in the middle and it's it needs to be a, a, little, bit more, a little bit more variety than that. I think Jimmy Husband... Final, although he hasn't played that often, he's, he's, as, we, as we know from the last quiz, had the most substitute appearances. And mm-hmm. um, he is, uh, uh, he, his final ball, or rather the, the final ball he tries to play in, is far more akin to what I would like more blood and thunder championship style crosses. Evo Pinto is a huge mark, mark against him for me. Like the, he, the speed, the pace he has, but then he, he's kind of the chief culprit of sprint until you're standing in front of the fullback and then stop. Mm. And you think, well, that's what he wants you to do. Like, push it past him and force a corner, you know. And whenever he does, he gets an ovation from the Barclay, but it's one every sort of four or five times that he does it. But there were times in one of the recent home games where he was doing that and was visibly looking for then an option outside him. Mm. One of these, yeah. and I think he, had, I, I can't remember which game it was now, but it was, say it was Vrancic or it was Wes Hulan in front of him, and they'd all, they'd all drifted inside. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, sometimes we need that, that width to get around behind these teams. I think that, that, that to me is the glaring sort of miss for Norwich at the moment. Yeah. So if we look um, at the um, at the picture coming up, the, the this international break, the the have we kind of concluded that the main thing we all feel we need to address is, well, Chris described it as variety. You kind of described it as, as that three. So to to round that off, is is can we between the four of us pick what we 
think is probably with the squad we've got until January, our best three to play behind a striker if we accept that we're only going to play one up front. Well, the, the change that I would make is, and I agree with Chris's comment about variety, but I, I can see why we're not just slinging it in because we're playing one up front. And there's normally two centre-halves, sling it in, gets cleared, you're done on the break. Um, but what I would possibly change is, at the moment we seem to be playing in that three, two players who want to play in the middle, Madison and Vrancic or Madison and Houlihan, and then one wide player, Murphy or Vilcic. And I'd like to see Murphy and Vilcic play, especially at home against yeah, Barnsley, where you can be a bit more open, and then Madison or Houlihan behind. So in the in the, um, in the the early knock-ins of the Bolton game... Um, we again, your dulcet tones taught me through that game. The first twenty minutes, um, it sounded like you were having a lovely time, yeah. you know, with Rivo, <laughs> watching some fantastic football, and we, it was chance after chance after chance. And um, so, would you therefore say we go with the with the same team going into the next game? Yeah, or? I think it's uh, having not just from that game, but having seen Norwich across the first twenty games of the season. Uh, I think we all we've all seen how much the defence has improved since since August. So, the goalkeeper and the back four, that sort of system, you probably wouldn't argue with. I think there is an argument for bringing Grant Hanley into it now. Two holding midfielders, I don't think too many people would argue with Reed and Tribal and Tetty when he's fit, coming in for one of those two. And we've only got the two strikers, so you've got to have one up front, in, as, as we've been discussing. So that that's why I come back to this that three being the one area of the team that I think is really up for discussion. So who, who, are we, who are we going for there? So Pritchard's not available for another sort of three, four weeks after we get back from international break. So, Madison is for me obvious. You yeah, have to yeah. find a place for him. We, you know, potentially Pritchard then moves out to to the right when when he's available. Vrancic hasn't done enough for me, and, and is is just 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 too pedestrian for me. He's 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 the player you bring on 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 sixty five minutes when you two nil up, and you give you give someone a rest. You know, you give Madison a rest because you've done the job. Because he because then that's when you want to play it slowly. That's when you want to slow it down. Um, but other than Madison, I think you struggle to make a like. You yeah. make a good point about having maybe Vilcic and and uh, Murphy playing together to go for real width. But then, um, well, Murphy I think, doesn't yeah, give you a lot the, the problem Norwich have got is that all the players we're talking about are wildly inconsistent, and and this is the problem with the Championship and why it is so tight as, as a league. You've got a bunch of players, not just at Norwich but at all clubs really, who are very talented and and can have wonderful games. I mean, we saw. You know, Aidan McGeady for Sunderland, didn't we? Yeah. He was absolutely fantastic yeah, against us, but he's playing in the Championship, and all these players are playing in the Championship for a reason, and it, and it tends to be that they cannot play you know, 8, 9 out of 10 every week, and I think that's what Norwich are really suffering from at the moment. You see Josh Murphy have a good run of games, and you think, right, he's cracked it, and then he'll have one where he goes missing a little bit, and then you feel you've got to bring somebody else in, and then you know, Vrancic, you, you've seen flashes of wonderful passing, and then other games where he's been anonymous. I think that's it's so difficult to say I can trust this player to do the job I want him to do and perform and, and be that eight, nine out of ten match. Well, unfortunately, you have to put Tommy Tribal in that as well. I mean, basically, I think he just looked knackered the last, the yeah. last two performances, mm-hmm. he just looked absolutely out on his feet. Um, but he had played a lot, a lot of football. Um, so, yeah, just, just to round off, kind of look, looking back before we look forward positively and optimistically. Do we, are we all in agreement that Wolves is the, the best style of football we've seen us come up against so far or what you'd like to watch the most You're I didn't go to the game so I don't really know <laughs> <laughs> it was quite exciting that, as you say well, they got the ball and they, they broke and mm. they ran at you and yeah that's what that's what English fans are sort of brought up to want to see isn't it mm. that attacking pace power 
blood and guts. Because it was yeah. more that was more, for, to me that was more exciting than Arsenal. So at, at the Emirates mm. we had a, we were a little bit lower down than we would have liked for an ideal view. Um, but you still could see the passages of play and you could see the way they were putting things together. Obviously at, at that end. But it, again, for me, that was far too slow and, and, and far too pedestrian. And, and like I say, it's that blood and thunder approach. That's championship football. Huddersfield last team. season for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, they taught us. It was almost, it was almost like um, Pushkas at, at Wembley, wasn't it? It was like they really taught us lessons. Like, oh no, you're supposed to be doing it this way. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think I was talking to somebody um, who works for another BBC station before the whole game, um, a colleague from Radio Humberside, and we were saying, Do you know, neither of us have really seen an outstanding team in the Championship yet. And I thought, yeah, it, it is a division that does feel like it's very much of a muchness. But now I've seen Wolves. I think yeah, actually I would be staggered from this position if they're not if they're not promoted. They're only they're only something like um, eleven to eleven to seven or something. Like, no, so yeah, seven to eleven on or something. They're, re- they're not they're not the long odds you'd ex- you'd expect them to be, or the short odds you'd expect them to be for how. Is, is it because we're, we're in that? Can they do it on a cold Tuesday night at <laughs> Norwich? Territory? Norwich, yes, they could. That's true. So they've, they've even proved that. So what, yeah. what else is there? Cool. So uh, before we move on, just want to uh, raise awareness of anyone listening to this podcast who doesn't follow Big Grant Holt on Twitter, which you should do anyway. John Rogers has uh, got a fantastic cause he's raising money for. Uh, we're going to tweet the uh, link out to the Just Giving page um, straight after tweeting out the link to the podcast. Um, so dig deep, and it will mean you get some fantastic what happened and funny videos and content from him um, which will be well worth it it's a fantastic cause as well um, Nicky at the NNN um, hospital obviously close to, to all of us nearly all of us have, have needed them to look after us at some point um, so yeah we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll put that link out alongside the pod so speaking of social media we asked you for your questions um, mm-hmm. and John is going to read out a couple no, hang on not working out where they are right so the first one and we're picking the top three tweets, was a lady called Elizabeth Howlett from Twitter. She says, concerned about... She lives Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. she lives. Concerned about the Farker Parker. Are you in agreement that we win far more when he dresses in beige? Ditch the black? Question mark. Now, I've done a little bit of research, lads, on this. However, I'll put it to you guys. So there's three coats that Daniel has worn so far this season. His black kind of hoodie-style waxy jacket... Blade Runner style jacket at the start of the season. Basically a fashion blogger, aren't you, with all this terminology? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the khaki parka and the black parka. Which one of those would you think? Hang on, what about the greeny one? Khaki. Oh, I see, right. <laughs> I think, yeah, okay. So which is the, the most successful? <laughs> which would be the most successful for Well, first, first, I think we've really clearly pointed out that we are the qualified four gentlemen in Norwich to, yeah. to have this discussion. And yeah. um, I, I uh, personally... Uh, don't really mind. <laughs> There's a tangible difference in well, results based on coats. Well, considering that. that we've got John and Andy here, one of you is wearing beige, one of you is wearing black. And this is going to be good news for one of you, isn't it? One of us wins the quiz every yeah. week, and one of us doesn't. <laughs> yeah, we drew last night. <laughs> there was a recap. Is there? Is it actually not the colour of the coat, but the thickness of the coat? And we're better in slightly mild weather. Well, I think. Well, it's a good point. We and I cheat. evenly split home and away. So. Not really, no. no. so... It's almost we... as if it has no effect. <laughs> well, see, so you now you say that. <laughs> so these are the results. So the, the black Blade Runner style jacket was donned by Mr Farker for Fulham, where we got a draw. Swindon, League Cup. Sunderland at home, which we lost. Queen's Park Rangers, which we won. Villa, Charlton, Millwall and Birmingham. So we won four games, 
drew one, lost three. Yeah, but one of those was Millwall. That's got to count for at least three, three <laughs> bonus defeats. <laughs> so the league's points per game was 1.2 points per game with the black Blade Runner style jacket. Overall win percentage of 50%. Khaki Parker was Burton, Sheffield United, Brentford, Bristol City, Borough, Reading, Hull, Ipswich and Derby. That hasn't seen many goals, that coach. It hasn't seen many goals. It has seen some points, though. Okay. So, yeah. leagues, league points per game, 1.9. That's promotion form, lads. Right. So, 1.5, drawn 3, lost 1. So, it's a 56% win percentage. And the Black Parker, Arsenal, Wolves and Bolton. Mm. So, you're saying the beige, was it the khaki one? The kind of beige, khaki, greeny right. number. But I think I we've think got to we've got to put that to the, scr- the same scrutiny as we put the Wolves team. Could you wear that on a cold Tuesday night? At, at mm. Burton? He literally did. He wear did it. wear it yeah. well. against Burton on a Tuesday night. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Problem solved. So thank you very much, Elizabeth, for that, for, for that two minutes of content that <laughs> will probably not be beaten. People by. will just be forward one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so who could possibly follow that, John? Uh, Ewan Wilson on Twitter. So he said, and we've kind of touched on it. Previously, with the benefit of hindsight, was it wise to go full strength against Arsenal? Yes. Football's about making memories, and big cup runs are part of that. So you can say, oh, with hindsight, we shouldn't have done it. We should have done it, because mm. we almost won, and had Look we won, it would have been a story We wouldn't have been years. anywhere near as close as that. Yeah. And also, the, the players that did win, if you go one or two down early in that game, you're going to get a real yeah. run around. Yeah, They're absolutely. probably going to end up running even more um, for, for the rest of the game if we're, if we're losing uh, and chasing the game. And actually, he did make three or four changes didn't he it wasn't as if we've played the same team and we've just got because we've, we've, we've talked about this already we, we can't really identify a first choice Norwich 11 at the moment mm-hmm. you it felt like it was the, the full strength first team but I think there were changes made and yet you know, 9,000 Norwich fans there that night it, it would have felt such a letdown to them if it had been you know the under 18s who, who were playing yeah. that one I, I, they can have no regrets about that they got they got within five minutes of what would have been a you know, a very, very famous result. Mm. I think the only criticism actually could have been the game management. So it's not necessarily the starting lineup that you went with, but we talked about it at the last pod. We flogged Nelson Oliveira that night, 132 minutes, I think, or whatever it was that, that we played. And actually, had we taken him off on 70 minutes, had we put Jerome on, much more suited to seeing a game out, potentially would have come away with a result and maybe a fit Nelson right now. Mm. But yeah. then I think they were so worried about Nelson, they were trying to keep Jerome fit for the next game, weren't they? Yeah, so so. Uh, I think there was... A, it's almost like yeah. they need a third striker. Yeah. Well, Marley Watts is suspended, <laughs> isn't he? Well, he was suspended, yeah. And Grant Hanley was cup-tied, wasn't he? So even in terms of making changes, he was. I'm not sure how much he could have done. Yeah, yeah. In- interesting decision to let Carlton Morris play in the FA Cup when some of the others were obviously told they weren't allowed to, Raggett, mm. etc., yeah, Braggett, we're in a position where we're really well stocked. Whereas Morris, you think, if anyone's got a, of all of the, the clamour to put the youngins in, if anyone's got a claim to, to be given a sniff, surely it's Carl Morris. Well, that's the next Twitter question. Okay. Nice link. Thanks, mate. So, um, Thomas Page on Twitter says, Why are we so scared to blood one of the youth strikers? Crying out for someone with hunger to put the ball in the back of the net. Well, Thomas, great name, by the way. Um, also, I think that uh, we should have uh, Carlton Morris in. It's almost like I just said that. But <laughs> he's, he's scoring regularly for, for, the, for the Shrews. Should we be the Shrews? But it should be if they're not. Yeah, they are. But is, a, is the style of striker for sticking the ball in the box, which we're not doing, so why would you bring in a player who Because then it gives the us a plan B of sticking the ball in the box when it's not going very well. Well, I've, you know, I've spoken to Stuart Webber about this during the season, and, and his take on the players they've got out on loan, and Carlton Morris at the centre of it, is, yeah, Carlton Morris, Ben Godfrey, probably could have 
played a game or two for the Norwich first team this season. But actually, they are at a point in their careers where they've barely played any first team league football. They need to be getting it regularly. And we're saying, well, maybe we could throw them on when it's not working for Jerome and Oliveira. How many appearances would Carlton Morris have made for Norwich this season, realistically? He's getting much more first-team football at, at Shrewsbury. And if we... You look at the, the, the two Murphy boys, they have become Norwich first-team regulars only after going out on loan. Mm. And I think... Yeah, I can understand the argument that, well, we need Carlton Morris back now. But I think for, for him, for us to have any chance of him becoming a real first-team regular for, for Norwich City, he needs an extended spell of first-team football. And if he, even if he was around the Norwich squad now, I don't think he'd be getting that. Mm. I think it's a very, very good answer, and uh, I, I see where you're coming from, Thomas. But but Chris and Lorne have made good arguments. <laughs> I think yeah. I just think it's you 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 really want to see one from the academy come through because it always feels so good, doesn't it, when a youngster one gets a chance? And yeah, we, we've got a great history of, of it with Norwich, and I think that there's so much pressure on games now. It's it's harder for head coaches, managers in years gone by to actually take a take a risk on somebody they don't know. And I still this sounds terribly old-fashioned, but I still miss proper reserve team football I, I, it feels to me as if the the under 23s being the level below the first team just does not get a young player ready for first team football uh, to me it just doesn't it doesn't do that and that's why you're now having to send like, 14 or 15 players out on loan for them to actually get any experience of proper football and I think it echoes the point that, that you two boys have made that why we haven't blooded the youngsters is they just don't think they're good enough or they're ready enough at the moment because if they did Todd Cantwell's making the bench. He's making the 18 at the moment. They think he's getting to the point where he's going to be ready for first-team football. So if Abrams, for example, is it Tristan Abrams or Abrams? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or this Pierre Foncao were ready, they would be in and around the 18 right now. And it's a good point, I think, about Cantwell. I don't think, it is, I don't think it's fair to say the club are scared to blood youngsters. Mm. We, like, Cantwell appearing on the bench proves that they are willing to do it. It's and a, Phillips as well. It's a bad ability. season. Yeah, he did, yeah. Okay, so all of those um, questions we thank very much and we'll sort out um, some nice Alan Partridge Some lovely stickers. Alan Partridge <laughs> stickers. Um, okay, so as we've got Chris here, um, we thought we would just touch on a little bit of nostalgia and cover the greatest voices, the greatest broadcasters in football in our, in our opinion, uh, present company accepted. Um, so who I don't feel you have to say a lot. The same thing I said about Norwich City a minute ago. You have to remember that these players are in the Premier are not in the Premier League for a reason, and I'm on local radio for a reason as well. So I, I assume I was talking about me a job. <laughs> I was talking about myself as I always am. Um, okay, so who wants to kick us off? My personal favourite is Martin Tyler. Okay, I just I love his voice. It's, it's it's soothing, but it's excitable. And it's live! <laughs> yeah. I just, I just really like him. And I like... I, um, ITV4 shows the big match revisited uh, on daytime TV. And it's games from, like, 1979. And you hear Martin Tyler commentating on those. And he sounds exactly the same. And as a result, he's been a commentator throughout my football-watching life. So, for me, he's... He is football commentator. So you've got longevity there. I um, it might be a little bit route one, but for me, Barry Davis, that that voice is that's football. That's match of the day. That's FA Cup kind of quarterfinals, Sunday afternoons. That that is um, when I used to uh, play football uh, in the park and would would commentate as the as the as, as we were kids like kicking balls around and, and stuff. 
um, it was his phraseology. It was his. It was his way of describing the game, the the romance that that he used to bring into um, his descriptions. That, that to me, he's he's like the the, the number one for me. See, I'm on a similar theme though. I think Sil- Silky Deslinem. So okay, he was <laughs> more of a broadcaster. More of a broadcaster, but pure silk, and that voice was amazing. He was synonymous with, I guess, my early memories of perhaps 1986 England doing relatively well in the World Cup, 1990 England doing really quite well in the World Cup, and Euro '96 as well. You know when we should have won it. Um, I remember Deslinem when um, I, it must have been maybe '98, maybe a bit earlier than that. Um, when both IT, you know, the ITV and BBC both have the final, yeah. they, they take it in turns. And he said, signing off from the semi-final, he said something along the lines of, um, "We know that the other lot have got it as well, um, but I'd be surprised if you chose to watch it with them, and, and frankly, I'd be disappointed." And that was how he <laughs> ended the program. And that yeah. is unique. His one-liners are unique. And yeah. I can't do a Des impression, but it was on the eve of um, Euro '96, so England were about to play Scotland that game where Gaza flicks the ball mm. over Henry's head and smashes in the volley. He just kind of said really casually at the end of the broadcast, it was the night before, he just said, oh, that there's a small matter of a football match tomorrow, but that's if you haven't got a car boot sale to go to. <laughs> <laughs> really understated and just, the man is class. Well, you, you've all gone with um, TV people, which I, I won't take personally, but um, I, I, we all know that, that radio is the, the, the senior broadcast medium. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I think that, because I'm, we're all about the same age, and I was, when... Uh, Sky came in and took away all the Premier League coverage and, and we lost our live Sunday afternoon terrestrial top flight football. That's when I first got into radio commentary and it was Mike Ingham particularly on, oh, on Radio yeah. 5 yeah. Uh, as it was then, Vibe Live is, is now. He's not he's retired now but that was the voice I think of you know listening to, to England matches and, and those big games that you, you had to have a, a dish on the side of your house to get which we didn't have. Uh, and then I've got to give a mention to Roy Waller as well, haven't oh, I? Because yeah. if Norwich were on, that's yeah. who you'd listen to. And I think with Roy, with Martin Tyler, the one thing you, you want from anyone who's involved in football is just a sense that it's natural and it's honest and they're not trying to do an Alan Partridge-style foot-like-a-traction-engine-forced commentary and, and they're not getting overexcited when they don't really feel it. And I think all the people you've just mentioned the way they broadcast, the way they talked about football came naturally and I think that's that's what you want, a degree of honesty. So a question that I'll, the question that I'll ask you, which, which potentially is off, asked you often, um, what is the feeling knowing that forever you will be synonymous with that derby? <laughs> but, but, you know, from a, you know, as I was at the game, but my memory of, of that goal, I, and because it was such an, even though that wasn't the goal that took us up or anything like that, the, the feeling of that we're going to do it now will forever be associated with you and your voice even though I wasn't listening to it live but the point is whenever I've seen it back it, it's been on there so yeah. what's that feeling knowing that you are now an indelible I, part I think it feels we, we, we spoke to Neil Adams about it recently because we, we were reunited on Radio Norfolk a couple of weeks ago and I think we both feel that when you hear it now it does I can understand why people enjoy it and think it's quite funny because it seems ridiculous someone getting that excited out of context but at the time, if you see the celebrations in the ground as well, I don't, still don't think I've seen anything like it, mm. uh, a goal celebrated. So it may not be the most vintage piece of broadcasting. It may, for listeners at home, have been quite difficult to tell what was actually happening, which isn't great. <laughs> and ask if you were right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but in terms of capturing the mood of a place, uh, I would say it did that. But it, it, when you listen to it out of context, it does sound strange. <laughs> yeah. But there's two bits on that as well, because I watch it on YouTube regularly. Before every game we play Derby, I will always watch it, and there's your quote, the kind of chance. And then there's the Neil Adams, the place is going bananas. 
Then there's the guy jumping out of what, yeah, the sit stand with a snake pit and just whacking the advertising board and smack on the floor. So you picked out something that Chris didn't cover. He didn't paint that for the scene. I haven't seen that. No. He's too busy just jumping up and down. Just one slightly, this is likely to be unpopular, but all of the things we touched on there were the context had like a longevity and they were with with our football memories if you like through such a long period there's one where I think that's gone too far and longevity is now harming him and it's John Watson and he's just, retiring though isn't he the yeah well he should have retired five years ago <laughs> <laughs> just can't stand him I, right, we've now. got a representative, representative from the BBC here we can't I find, I find, I find that you difficult. can comment on yeah, it I, I, <laughs> find, I find that difficult to, to stomach as an opinion because of my affection for him and I feel that he earned himself a longer kind of path to retirement than than maybe would have been perfect and yeah okay voice might have gone a little bit and it might be a little bit more stumbly than, than ideal and, and he oh, might have been like, perfect had, had he retired three or four years ago he might have got a statue and the rest of it but I, I, I feel he's earned I feel that a broadcaster of, with that stature who will be remembered for as long as he will has kind of earned the right to go out on his but, terms but, but has anybody ever uttered a better line of Norwich City commentary than this is almost fantasy football no, in no. Munich and also, when he, and also um, he, when when he scores goals, they're either very very um, special or very very important, yeah. and that one was both. It was, yeah, you know, yeah. he's he he for, for, again for, for those reasons, for Norwich City reasons as well. Uh, um, as far as I'm concerned, he can keep on going. I might not necessarily enjoy his more recent work, but you know, I think you earn the right to, to keep doing yeah. that. Cool. Okay. We're not putting your place at all. It's, it's just opinion. It's a fair opinion. Your face said you were putting your place. <laughs> <A pinch laughs> game, I know when you're not, beaten. It's not stumbling over words. It's getting stuff wrong that annoys me. It's why football I hate is a game of opinions, and I thought we were going to get promoted two weeks ago. So uh, we will round off uh, this evening's pod with the Along Come Norwich quiz. So as it's International oh, Week, okay. we've got some uh, we've got some foreigners. Um, and as it's been a week to forget, we've got some forgotten men at Norwich City Football Club as well. Um, we're mixing in a little <laughs> bit of uh, international, a little bit of, of, of Norwich City. Um, just to recap, so everyone is familiar with the format, you'll get six questions in a minute. Um, if you give an incorrect answer, I will move on to the next question and then I will keep going round so you can have one go at a time at each of the ones that you got wrong. Uh, we'll start with you, Chris, as I guess. No pressure. And your minute starts... Now, name a Dutchman to have a Premier League goal or assist this season. Four. Um, Klassen? At Everton? Uh, incorrect. Oh. Uh, what squad number is Todd Cantwell? 36. Correct. I should get that one. Name one of the Leeds United Premier League managers who won Manager of the Month in the Premier League. Uh, in the Premier League, so yeah. Howard Wilkinson wasn't Premier League, was he? Howard Wilkinson? Correct. Um, <laughs> question four. Um, I've got six caps for Holland and played for Norwich, Feyenoord and QPR. Who am I? Uh, Leroy Fair. Correct. Uh, number five. Who won the Golden Boot in the 2006 World Cup? Oh, 2006. Closer? Correct. Not our closer, obviously. Younger listeners. Question six. In what year did Martin Hunter manage Norwich City? Ah, oh, that was after now. Was that after Worthington or was that after Grant? Uh, 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 2006. Correct. Um, so going back to the one. The uh, Dutchman. Yeah, Dutchman. Oh. Well, that boys, you've got, you've got some issues here because <laughs> not, o- not only did Chris get, get the year of Martin Hunter, he gave you the manager that was before and after him as well, which is terrific. Yes, he was after Worthington and before. Was he? I can't remember Grant. which one he was after. Yeah, no, yeah, he was in okay. between the two. I remember, I remember interviewing him at QPR after a game. 
forgot well, he's the manager. We're both going to get yeah, zero yeah. posts on those questions. So the Dutchman then? Can I so, so the Dutchman, you could have had Daryl Janmat at Watford, Leroy mm-hmm. Fur, oh, uh, Swansea Leroy City, uh, Davy Proper, uh, Brighton Hove Albion, uh, Wijnaldum from the week before, yes. and Van Lepara from Van that, that absolute um, fantastic baller at the weekend. So it's five to beat. I'm not sure we're going to need a tiebreaker this week, gents. Nope. So, John, <laughs> as is customary, it is your go next. Are you ready with the timer, Mr. Timer Man? Your time, John, starts now. Name an Irish player to have a Premier League goal or assist this season. Robbie Brown. In the Premier League. Correct. Uh, what squad number is Adam Phillips? 19. No. Name one of the Middlesbrough Premier League managers who won Manager of the Month. Gordon Strachan. Incorrect. I made 34 starts for England and played for Norwich and Sheffield Wednesday. Who am I? Chris Woods. Correct. Who won the Golden Boot in the 2010 World Cup? Closer. Incorrect. In what (laughs) year did John Faulkner manage Norwich City? Ooh. Was that post-Walker? 1995? No. Uh, You were so close. Uh, Adam Phillips, squad number. 23. No, uh, that's Madison. Uh, one of the Middlesbrough Premier League managers who won Marriage of the Month. Pass. Uh, Golden Boot in 2010 World Cup. Ooh, bad student. No, uh, which year did John Faulkner manage the No. Nine. I'm just going to keep saying years. <laughs> yeah, that's why you have to, have to have to have the rule of the, the one wrong answer at the time. Uh, so Adam Phillips is... Now, Campbell was 35. Correct. Oh. Um, no extra points. Um, Middlesbrough Premier League managers who won Manager of the Month, there were three. Steve McLaren? No. Oh. Brian Robson, Gareth Southgate, Terry Venables. I forgot oh, Venables. Venables. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a um, great question. Uh, then uh, Thomas Muller won yeah, the World Cup Gold Boot. Uh, and you were bang right. He was after Mike Walker, John Faulkner. Just the other Walker. The second time. 98, yeah, yeah. before Brucey Rioch. So five is what you're after. You are the reigning champion, Norny. No, got... he's not. We drew last time. Yeah, but it was a league time before that. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You've never won. This with a point. <laughs> I've given myself a point on the league table. When you finished, um, <laughs> are you ready with the timer, Mr. Timer? I am. Okay, Lorne, your time starts now. Name a Senegalese player to have a Premier League goal or assist this season. Uh, pass. What squad number is Jamal Lewis? Twenty-seven. No, name one of the Sheffield Wednesday Premier League managers who have won Manager of the Month. Ron Atkinson. No, uh, I'm a former Norwich player who has scored seven goals in 101 appearances for Nigeria. Who am I? Efan Kuku. No, who won the Golden Boot in the 2014 World Cup? These are silly questions. <laughs> uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. No. Question number six: In what year did Jim Duffy manage Norwich City? 2009. No. Going back uh, to a Senegalese player to have a Premier League goal or assist? Pass. Uh, squad number for Jamal Lewis? 28. No. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday Premier League manager? Uh, Nigel Wellington never managed him, did he? Sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry that <laughs> was zero. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad I didn't get those questions. <laughs> um, we'll go through the answers. Obviously, John and, and Chris, you will know all of Lorne's ones he didn't Absolutely. get. Um, yes. So, yes, if you'd have said Nias, you'd have been there. You could have had Duf, um, Mane. Mane was the obvious uh, one. Yeah, Mane was the one that was. Um, Sacco, uh, Chiku Coyote from West Ham. Mm-hmm. Jamal Lewis is, of course, 
Sheffield Wednesday, you could have had David Pleat, Danny Wilson, Trevor Francis. David Pleat was the one I was trying to think of because I think he looks like an owl. Okay. <laughs> and he did that brilliant run. So he's the yeah. uh, 101 appearances for Nigeria, also played for Norwich. Dixon of two? No. 101 is a lot. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it is a lot. We have a centre-back. Oh, Yobo. Yes. Oh, no. Joseph Yobo. Uh, 2014 World Cup Golden Boot. That was the last World Cup, wasn't it? Um, I cannot remember. That's bad, isn't it? James Rodriguez. Uh, yeah. uh, and then Jim Duffy was after Peter Grant and before Glenn Roder, which means 2007. 2007. So I didn't get to do my tiebreaker of how many miles it was from Wembley to the Allianz Arena, what with England playing Germany this, uh, this week. It's 702, by the way. Um, so that wraps it up. It's a fantastic victory for Chris. We haven't had anyone win by quite that distance. No. Very, very impressive. You'll go to the top of the leaderboard, um, although I don't quite understand the rules with which the leaderboard is put together because these two keep arguing about it. Thanks for unexpected goals. Um, <laughs> yes, yes it, is. it is the expected goals of the podcast world. Um, so thank you ever so much for joining us, Chris. It's been a pleasure. No, thank you for having me. Thank you very much to uh, John. Bye-bye. And Andy. Bye-bye. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Six, eight.